we're always thinking about what's coming up and what's the most important thing. And for me, what is the most important thing for us, for these people, for, for this thing called Kenmore Church, which is not, not a heartless organisation. If, you, if you're visiting here today, it's like you, you come as a visitor, you come inspecting with outsiders' eyes. But if you're sort of an insider here, you've been here for a while, this is a living, breathing, loving, imperfect, messy organism of people, wonderful people. And what's the most important thing for us right now is, is the thing that's always going to be the most important thing. Because we're talking a lot about outreach. We're, we've got all sorts of programs and strategies coming, but, but nothing can trump this. Nothing's more important than a singular desire for God in our life. Because if we don't have that, nothing else works. Everything's out of balance. It's all out of whack. A church can get out of whack because we lose the priority that this thing isn't about building some empire or a brand or anything like that. It's about a group of people imperfect as we are, pursuing God. But this whole thing about desire from God, and we've been through uh, four of the letters now, but desire for God does not self-build. We don't atrophy naturally towards desire, especially as Australians. If it hasn't got a maroon jersey on it, there's normally not a lot of passion around it in Queensland, I find. There's a lot of sad sacks in the room. You know, the Lions didn't do well, apparently, last night. But the Broncos are on tonight, so they could be happy again tonight, but we'll see. We'll see. But desire for God, we walked through the first four, which was D was for devotion, a singular dedication to God. And that's the litmus test of all of it. If we, and if we don't have that first, none of this is going to matter. You can get all the other things right. If you don't have a singular devotion for God, it's not going to work too well. The second part was E, enlightenment. And I was talking there about where, where you have a personal encounter with the truth and the experience, the reality of God himself, where he, he meets you and you're never the same again. Overflowing from that is a stepping out that we, to, to hear God is to obey. You can't, you can't encounter him and be the same. You can't unsee that and it's going to call us to step out in faith. Then finally, Sandy last week brought a great message on inspiration, uh, which he converted to H for hope, which, which sort of worked. Um, but today I want to bring one which is very different because you wonder how does this have anything to do with my heart's desire for God. How does this, but this is intensely practical and I think all of us will be affected and I'm hoping that as we go through this, you'll begin to see your life and, and self-reflect. How am I going with this one? And the, next, the last one, oh, sorry, the second last one is relationships. But not just any relationships, relationships that actually build you up. Relationships are incredibly important spiritually. In our life. If you've been a Christian more than two or three years, the hard data will say that this, what happens here on a Sunday matters or impacts less and less into your growth curve as a disciple of God. The rate of change in your life that comes from spirituality slows down in its effect from what you gain here on a Sunday. Doesn't mean it's not important, it's just as vital as it always is, but you, you aren't primarily discipled and growing in your faith through what happens here on a Sunday. Because in some sense, you begin to find yourself saying, I heard this message before. And you may have noticed that I've only got one message. It's about 500 hours long and I just pull half hour slots out of it. It's still, hang on, there's only so much knowledge in the world to be had. And to be honest, you can find probably uh, well, better structured, more piercing content to where you're at online than you do here on a Sunday. And you start to go, well, what's Sunday all about? And so, a consumerist mindset around Sunday starts to get a bit old. 
And that's, that's the way it's supposed to be because Sundays aren't designed as a primary spiritual development activity for mature Christians. It's a place where mature Christians come, but it's where people from the, the public should feel welcome, the, the public should be able to come and feel they understand what's going on. It, it does a different sort of a thing. So what takes the place of that? Well, there are things that, that come into your life that are supposed to take, that, that take us where a Sunday service can't take us. Things like active service in the body of Christ. Doing things does for you what theory never can. It's, it's, it's amazing. It requires new levels of faith and perseverance and, and working with people and all those sorts of things. But one of the other key ones, besides things like home groups and personal study, the disciplines and all the, all the good practices of Christian life, are these things called spiritual relationships. And I'm not talking about necessarily a home group, a small group. We love small groups. They, they do a community aspect, but not everyone in your small group is going to be what I would call a spiritual relationship. So I want to build a framework around this about what this means and what it doesn't mean. And, and, and hopefully all of us will come away from this thinking, this is actually important in my life. Who's feeding into my life and building me up? Who's in my life in the sense that their impact, their presence in my life builds me up? Not in a consumerist way, not in a selfish way. It's just this is what I'm designed to be because I'm not designed to be alone. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says to Christians, encourage one another, build each other up. We're designed as Christians uniquely. It's part of the presence of the Spirit in our life, our faith in Christ. And another aspect is we're designed as Christians to, to not be in isolation. We can't function in anything but a truncated, cut-off way if we're living this thing like an island. And so people are designed to need people. Not just lots of people, but unique sorts of people. And what you'll find in, in life, not just church life, but any life, is that life brings us people who tear us down. Life brings us lots of people who withdraw from us. They, every interaction that we have, every email that we get, you know, most of the interactions that we have in our life and our work, and all, they're withdrawals, aren't they? And we say, well, that's okay, God fills my tank. Well, yes, he does, but God's plan B, plan A for filling your tank is the Holy Spirit, but he also says that the other plan, which works alongside that, is people. He gives us people. It's the body of Christ. This hand, if I'm a hand in the body of Christ, cannot function unless an arm is supporting me. We need livers and stomachs and ears and noses and mouths, we all, we, and we can't function in isolation. We can't be who we're meant to be on our own. But, the, but these people that come into our life that will draw from us. There's a great book by Liz Wiseman called Multipliers, which is a great leadership text, but it talks about the fact that there are people in our life that no matter how we interact with them, they withdraw. They may be on our team, they may be um, in our family, they may be uh, work folk that we can't avoid being around, but just there's something about them that is just, they just suck the life right out of you. It's like when they're around, I'm not the person I know I can be. Often we find this in a work environment. We go, I'm better than this. But, but in this team and this sort of dynamic, I seem to reduce. I'm better than this, but I can't seem to rise to this level. But then there are some people which Liz Wiseman calls multipliers and, and it's just their presence in our life builds you up. They're just hanging around with them edifies you, which is what the word edify means, to build up. It's like, and they're called multipliers. You become much more of who you were, who you're supposed to be, more than you ever thought you could possibly be simply by the presence of these other people in your life. 
And the irony is the person that when we'll all have one, you know, the subtractor, that one person that just, what is it about you that you just suck the life out of me? I don't know what it is. That same person can be a multiplier in someone else's life. It's just you and them have got this weird thing going on. It just doesn't work. And when you've got those sort of people in your life, you've got to make sure someone in your life is able to actually build you up because that person may be fantastic for them, just not for you. But there's someone else that I can bring the best out in as well. And there's probably other people I seem to bring the worst out, and that's just life. But we need people who build us up. But the reality is alone, you're never going to be who you're called to be. And so your life is affected by being isolated. And this is a hard one because in Australia, we're an isolated group. We're, uh, in a sociological sense, they call us a cold relational climate. So we're a hot environmental climate, but we're a cold relational climate. There's some great work on this on the net if you just do a Google on that. But a cold relational climate is one where typical Australia, you know, we've all got the sliding door with the remote minds in the car. You're driving down the road, it's up as you get home, you walk in, door comes down. There's no interaction. But when I grew up in Sydney, even Sydney, four million people, I knew my street. Like I was a little rascal guy just everywhere. But so are all my mates. And we'd play cricket on the main street. No worries. And, and the cars would come, they're all slow, wait till the shot, you know, and, and people would walk, walk past and you're on your veranda. Hey, how you doing? What a cuppa. Christian life was very much an interruptional culture where you're just at home on a Sunday afternoon, suddenly the door knocks and, how you going? Oh, I just, just thought about you, thought I'd pop in. Anyone done that to anyone lately? We're a cold relational climate. Other climates in the world are warm relational climates, South America, Africa, uh, and other, other countries where it's just natural, where the village raises a child. People just can't live without people. But we found a way to reward this isolationism. So this whole idea of deep relationships, especially in church world, can be very difficult for us. But your purpose and your calling are going to be thwarted. Your calling in life, in function and form, is going to be thwarted by the fact that we're isolated because we're not designed to work that way. And I know even as I talk, many of us here are going to be saying, hang on, mate, I've got nothing to give. There's nothing left in I don't have time for this. The reality of my life, the busyness of my life, I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere, I've got all these things going on. I haven't got time to engage in this sort of relationship. I understand that. I'm as busy as, as, as everybody else. Sometimes we just need to approach this like a Sabbath thing. You know, the true meaning, the depth of Sabbath is that we partake in those things that fill our soul. And if you haven't got a lot of time, if you haven't got a lot of relational capacity left, sometimes that requires just a bit of social time. It just, you just need to get around some people that are just happy for a change. And sometimes that's where we need to start. But, the, but we need to begin, we need to set a target on the wall to say, this whole idea of relationships that build me up is where I need to be aiming over the longer term. So let me drill this down, and, and I want to give you some scriptures and some examples from the life of Jesus about how this really works in real life. And I've developed this, this model over many, many years and from many, many texts and scriptures. But it often starts, if you look at the life of Jesus, uh, different culture, but, but the reality, the dynamics are essentially the same. In, in, the, in an outer circle, and we talk about circles in this whole, I love circles. I'm just a circle guy. I, I, all my infographs look like circles. But we have a circle which uh, in Scripture is defined in the Greek as a word called metron. Metron. And a metron in Greek is a, a given portion. It's a measure. 
and particularly when it comes to people, a measure of influence. So you'll find in your life, there's a crowd of people in your world, people on the bus, people in your workplace, people in all these sort of areas that you live in. And they're people that are within your blast radius, if I could put it that way, of influence. In other words, if you had COVID, you're going to give it to them. All right, so they're the, they're the ones you're spreading all the stuff around with. Um, but in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, the Apostle Paul talks about this whole idea of metron. And he says, we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service. That's that word, sphere is metron. That, that scope of service God has assigned, God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. So he said, Paul's saying, I've got a sphere of influence here. There's a metron in my life, and you have a metron as well. Some are larger and smaller than others. But Jesus had a metron. He had a sphere of influence. There was a crowd of people, thousands of people, that engaged with Jesus. But the thing about the the crowd is they're not your friends. They're not necessarily feeding into your life. They weren't Jesus' friends, even though they, they may have brushed up close with him very closely in a proximity sense. But to Jesus... He was objectified in that sense. He was an object. He was depersonalized. There was a transactional thing going on in the sense that they only paid attention to him because he gave them, there was something that he had that they needed, salvation, healing, influence, hope of a Messiah, all that sort of stuff. But they didn't know him. And the crowd doesn't know you. And they're probably only paying attention to you in the sense of when your, your life affects theirs in some way. So it's sort of transactional. But, but it's an objectified relationship. The next layer down was an interesting layer, and we all have, oh, well, we don't have these sorts of people, but Jesus had a group called followers. So this is a slightly smaller group of people, which in your life may well be, we could say, it's sort of the church, church-sized crowd, many hundreds of people. And they're people who are followers of Christ. So there's a degree of similarity. There's a connection of we have this sort of stuff in common. And Jesus had a group of followers as well. And the followers sort of came and went and it was still an objectified, it was still one-way traffic. They were following because of who he was, not because they liked his personality necessarily. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it said that Jesus appeared to 500 other followers after the resurrection. So we seem to think there was only 12 left after he was crucified and rose, but there was 500 that he appeared to in those 40 days. That would, that would defined as his followers. They were on board. They weren't just fans, they were followers. But still, he appeared to them, but they weren't close to him. He had another group that was closer again, which is the next circle called his disciples. And so this may be your small group, this may be your work team or whatever your life's uh, structure looks like, but there'll be a dozen or so, give or take five or ten people, that you have much more to deal with. And the closer we get into these circles, the more potential there is for being built up, for being withdrawn from, from finding joy and from finding a heck of a lot of pain because proximity brings potential for pain and joy and you can't pick them until they get there. That's the challenge of all this sort of thing. In Mark 3, 13, it says, Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. So he's saying, hang on, of, the five, of 500 give or take followers, there's 12 guys I'm because I need to have some people closer that I can feed into and actually bring change and they can actually have an impact on me as well. And they came to him, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. So now it, I almost should have put a firmer line, a thicker line there saying, the crowd's one thing, followers are nice, 
But now we're talking about, let's start doing life together with a group of people. That they might be with him and that he might send them out. So he says, now, okay, this, I could, in a light sense, I could say, this would be like my staff team. Okay, we're coming on board. I'm giving you all that I have. I'm going to train you in everything I know for what it's worth. But there's sort of an expectation on that. I'm going to send you out as well. You want to get that close? You've got to understand there's going to be a deal attached to this. So I'd love to get, and I'm planning to get, as people are activated to want to do this, discipleship groups, different from small groups in that sense, smaller groups, where it's a group of people who say, yeah, I need to be fed into, I need to uh, receive, I need to give, and, and, and I'm going to go out and do this for someone else as well. And this is how the multiplication of the kingdom actually works. It doesn't happen through great church services necessarily. It's always happened in these small little moments, these tight circles of intimacy and up close and personal, getting it right, getting it wrong, and multiplying each other. But he chose them to be with him. This was his inner circle or one of his most inner circles, that input and expectation. Interestingly, Jesus chose Judas to be in that circle. Now, he knew Judas, just like he knew the rest of them. None of them, when you look at them, particularly qualified because they were the best and brightest and of highest levels of character, you know. They are all misfits, these guys. That wasn't the qualifier. The qualifier was were they prepared to be a disciple. But Judas, what was Jesus thinking? He knew all things. He had access to the whole deal. This is a critical point of understanding our relationships with people. Some people come into our inner circle and we don't find out they're not supposed to be there until much later on. But we don't let that be the definer of who we allow in. Because many people are brought into our inner circle of life and it's not like it's the wrong choice that we've invited them in. They've had a calling on their life. They've, had a, they've been offered a chance to be part of this inner circle. But their ability to take that up and make the most of that, that's up to them. Be, becoming part of that, that circle didn't guarantee an outcome. It was, just, it was guaranteeing intimacy, openness and a chance to become and an environment to become all that we were supposed to be. So he invited Judas in. Judas had the chance to become a whole different story. And you've probably had people in your life too where you've invited them in. You saw some characteristics, you saw some potential, and you said, I need a friend just like that. And then suddenly you find out one day that, what's that thing? Oh, it's an axe in my back called Judas. What happened? What happened? I thought we were this, but I've just found out we were that. And it's not your fault. Sometimes you've got to realise it's not me, it's not you, it's just... They didn't live up to being the person that God's called them to be. Sometimes this happens in marriages. There's an offer, there was a relationship, there was a commitment made, and this is the most difficult thing to grapple with in our life. I thought we were called to do this. Yes, you were, but not everyone lives up to their calling and we make stupid decisions and we become the people we're not supposed to be and inevitably there becomes a, a separation, which is, is it God's will? Is it his plan? No, it just worked out because you do stupid things. And we don't, we don't live up to all that we can be. I've oversimplified that and I don't want to offend anyone with that, but we all know it doesn't always go well. And we've got to accommodate the reality that we don't always become who we're called to become and who the circle of intimacy that we're in expects us and needs us to become. And so it doesn't work. So Jesus didn't make a mistake calling Judas. It was on him, on Judas. So one more circle closer. And this was the three. 
So if you have a spouse, this is where your spouse, if, you, if you're married, this is, your spouse lives in this, this intimate circle. No one can replace your spouse in that circle. And, you know, Jesus had the three people in his life, which were Peter, James, and John. Did, how did they qualify? I have no idea. These guys, their motives were suspect at best. You know, their theology was dodgy. Their expectations were way too high. They were manipulative, coercive. They did all sorts of weird things. But Jesus trusted them because they had, he knew their intent. He said, I can trust their heart, their actions are going to get it wrong, but we're on the same page and we're aligned. And so if, if you start to look at, this is where spiritual friendships begin to fit in, in the area of the 12 and, and hopefully one day in the area of, of the three, this tight circle in your life. But Jesus, you think, what could Jesus possibly benefit from having these three guys in his life? But he loved them. He loved them. He was himself with them. He was accepted by them and he accepted them without conditions. You know, and you look at how they interacted in Mark 9 too. Um, he invited these three to witness this transfiguration where he went up to the mount, mountain and glowed and Moses and Elijah came down. He took just those three. What was wrong with the rest of them? I don't know. But he, he, he only had space in his inner circle for a few people. In Mark 5.37, he took those same three to heal for the dead child. Why did they have... Any other special skills? No, Jesus did the praying, but he just knew they, they believed. They're, they're with me. They're not, they're not the doubters. They're not questioning that when they're coming into this room, I don't have to worry about what they're thinking. They're with me on this. He could trust them at that level. In Mark 14 in Gethsemane, Jesus took those three to experience his grief. He left the rest behind and said, you guys pray, you three come with me. And, and he poured out his soul and he, and he wept. And he just showed the true heart of who he was. he was. He was able to do that in an environment without judgment. Wouldn't you love to just be so close to someone that they, just, they actually knew you and they didn't judge you for all the stuff that has to come out that is the real you? How rare is that? What wouldn't you do to have a friend like that that sees your stuff and just loves you anyway? That's why a spouse belongs there. And that's why you can't really, and I, and I put a line in the sand there, uh, forgive me if I'm too simplistic with this, but if I'm, if I'm a man, which I happen to be one, uh, and I have a spouse in my inner core, which my wife always will be, I don't have another woman in that space, ever. I don't have a prayer partner who's of the opposite sex. Because you don't, you don't ever want to compromise or have a, have a potential to compromise that space. And so if I'm a guy if in, that, in that three, it's going, to be, it's going to be two or three other guys. That's it. And so we need to be very careful, very, very careful about what, how, how we allow that space to be managed in our life. It's the hardest circle to fill. Some of us take a lifetime. Some of us never seem to quite get there. Um, but it's the one that really needs to be worked on, possibly the hardest. There's one more circle Beyond that, and that's the circle where God alone lives. He can't get much more closer than God. He, he's closer than the air we breathe. He's literally dwelling in you. But beyond that, God is the centre because God can't not be the centre because God is God. He's never not God. It's just a matter of whether we treat him as God. But God is Lord. The whole. If we just go to the next slide there, Andre, God is designed to be in the middle without any competition or compromise. And if we look at that like a wheel... Because God always is the centre, but if we choose to, in our life, not have him as the centre, you can imagine a wheel spinning around something that's off centre. It's going to be doing this. And that's what our life does if God's not the centre of our life. Sometimes we live our life, we've got all these people in there and God's sort of off there. He's, he's not 
He's not determining who my friends are. He hasn't got a say in who my friends are. I don't set my priorities around him because he's off to the side. And we find our life results in this lumpy ride that's offset because God can only be God and God can only be centre in our life if a God life is going to work. And so this is, this is pivotal, literally, in our life. So here's, here's some principles around that and I want to work with time. Obviously, only God can be the centre, um, but the interesting thing about these circles is that sometimes people find their way in there uh, who we discover at some point need to not be there anymore. We find people come into a circle in our life and through evolution of our lifestyle, they've just, they were in there at some point and then we realise, I've grown, uh, I've changed, they've grown in a different way or they, there's been a motive or there's, there's some reason why that person is a mismatch now in our life and they're in a circle now and it's painful because they probably don't belong there. And for whatever reason, it might be lack of wisdom that we let them in, ignorance, bad decision, false pretense, or maybe something or someone has changed. So, uh, there's, there's a painful inevitableness about a person who may be in one of our close circles. There needs to be a necessary movement, a necessary ending for them to be... It doesn't, it's not a devaluing of someone. It's just this, this relationship is not spiritually healthy. This relationship needs to shift because this relationship's destroying me. And I need people in these closer circles to bring me up, to build me up. And so we need to manage the real tough, tough reality of how that looks. And I know many in this room have been through that, through friendships, uh, through marriage, through all sorts of things. See, closeness is about safety. It's not about status, that you're there because you have the same amount of money in the bank. It's not about... Uh, your lifestyle necessarily, it's not about your race or your colour or your creed. It's, it's, it's about value and character. See, a husband and wife normally couldn't be more different, but they belong in the same intimate circle because they, we might be opposites in personality type but equal in character, equal in values, aligned in our purpose and what we believe is true and worth fighting for. And so those people, the closer you get in that circle the higher those things become critical in our life. Trustworthiness, truth. We don't let people in our inner, inner circle who are, who are uh, judgy over us, who are just pointing out our faults all the time and, and don't accept them, who are bullies or liars or slanderers or abusers. Abusers don't belong close to our soul. People have to build us up as they're close. We all have probably people in our life we would term abusers of some form. It might be the way they talk to us, the way they treat us. That's well, it's not fine. It's never fine. It's just who they are, but they don't belong in that core of our life. So I just wonder whether you have people in all these areas and who are they? Can you identify who is in your life? Are you, are there, is anybody on a trajectory to being in that inner circle? I find that in, in a pastor's life, it gets very complicated to work this through because people come and go quite a lot through life. We move situations. So it can be a difficult one. So let me, let me flesh this out a, a bit deeper again about the sort of people that are in our life and how they can move. In, and this will lead into next week's message on uh, on the final letter. But relationships are built on what we share in common. So there's, there's a bridge between my soul and yours based on, on something that we share. It might be a common interest, common goal, common workplace, uh, common relationship in marriage, whatever it is. There, there's got to be something in common there that we're sharing. Um, interesting thing you'll find about life, there's, there's lots of people in our life 
And you may have lots of people in which you have lots of things in common, but, but you may feel like, well, that's fine, but I'm not close to any of them. Because we do, there's a lot of alignment in activity or goals. There's a lot of people in this room. There's a lot we have in common in belief, but not many of them are in your, uh, have access to your soul. And the greatest frustration is to be able to come in and be a part of a fellowship, to be part of a group of people and still go away and feel intensely lonely because no one's been allowed or, or for whatever reason, they're not, they're not in your soul space just yet. So it's possible to have many relationships, but none that actually build you up. And so this is one of the reasons, can I say, we need to go to two services in the morning. I can only, and we can only interact with so many people, but with two services, this room is going to be halved at least. So I get to talk to twice as many people on a Sunday. You get to get, make twice as many friends, and there's opportunity for real contact with twice as many people. It's fantastic in that logistical sort of sense. So people have to have something in common. Let's talk about the types of people. The first group in the red circle, Andre, are the oikos. Here's a Christian word for you, if you've ever heard one. This is oikos, is Christianese. It's a word in the New Testament normally translated as family. These days we would include a word called framily. Everyone heard of that? Framily. It's got an R in there. They're friends that you treat like family. Framily. It's a thing. It's a thing because back in those days, family, no one ever went anywhere. It was like you're in the village and you only ever moved like 20 feet apart. You're all in the same household and you had your slaves and you had your people next door, this kind of thing. And that was your oikos. It was called an oikos in Greek. These days we have family everywhere. Half of the people in the room here are from another country. Your, your real blood family are, are scattered throughout the world. Sons and daughters are gone, uh, the whole thing. And so our oikos often becomes people that we choose to let into that circle in our life and we would call them family. It's just like you're a brother from another mother, man. You're, just, you're my guy, you know, it's family. And so the thing we have in common with our oikos is a commitment to each other for life. It's like we're, we're, we're doing this deal together. We're, whatever we go through, we're doing this together, and regardless of performance. Sometimes our family is like that. It's like if they weren't your family, you'd have nothing to do with them. Hey, it's like that weird uncle, your crazy sister. It's like, but love you, always there for you. You know, whatever's mine is yours, no problem. That's just the way it's going to be. It's, it's oikos. And in the old days, it used to be up to four generations of family were in the same oikos. It was a, it's a people you do life with intimately and without condition. I wonder who's in your oikos. Are there many people there? There's room for 10 to 20 people in an oikos. In Acts 16, this word's used when uh, the Philippian jailer comes to Christ and he goes, and uh, Paul goes, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household, you and your oikos. In other words, you're going to get saved because you have so much influence and they trust you so much and there's so much transformation they're going to see, they're probably going to get saved as well. He wasn't talking prophetically. He was just saying, this is the dynamic. Often when someone gets becomes a Christian, those all around them in their oikos, they often are open to it as well. They go, man, look at that. So much change, so much life. I'm in for that. And so the greatest harvest field in our life are our oikos. Some of them are close. Some of them not, are not so close. Now, notice I've put an overlap there. And that doesn't mean that your oikos people replace God. It's just saying that some people in your oikos group are going to overlap in the, in the sense that your life with God is going to impinge on their life. Probably not all of them. If you've got a non-Christian family like mine or, or you know, 
a lot of people in your life aren't believers, but you are. But now and again, someone in your life, your life with God is going to impact their life with God. And you share that thing in common. And it's incredibly vital to you. It's just like, let's come away and talk about God for a minute. You know, it's just one of those special things. Next circle is uh, the church. This is the unique part of Christian life is that we get to not only have an oikos, we have the church life. And these are the two major relationship groups where spiritual friendships are going to come from. There are other circles which I'm going to draw up next week which become a mission field, an interest group, uh, the area where we do a lot of life with people. But there's something special about the local church. There's something spiritual. There's something eternal. And where we need to take it away from being a, a consumerist thing. And we understand that when people come to a new church, if they're checking it out, do they know what they're doing? Have they got a kids program? All that sort of stuff. But once you commit and you put the jersey on and you're part of the tribe, this is my gang now, this is my tribe, something happens. Something beautiful happens where who you are and the unique gifting that you bring. And often people find once I commit to a church and say they're all imperfect, it's all weird and Pat can't preach, but whatever, this is my gang now, I'm here, something happens in you where God gives you through his spirit, gifts, anointing, capability. Paul talks about them as charis, grace, gifts, because he says we are the body of Christ and he needs to ensure that this localised expression of that has all it needs to be a healthy expression. And so I might be a mouth, but someone else must be an ear and a liver and a heart and a hand and, and all that. And so you'll find yourself going, why don't they have a hand here? I want to be a hand. Let's sort the hand thing out. And so you become what you weren't before because you're in this weird thing called a church now, and God gives you the grace to do that. Sometimes we put ourselves too much in a box and go, well, that's just not my gift, but sometimes we just need to work with God on this and go, all these things are going to work if everyone here plays their part. So as we said, 1 Thessalonians 5, Christians are to encourage and build one another. He's talking to Christians. We together edify and build this thing called the church. So the things that we have in common are I could lead off our beliefs, and often churches are built on, we lead with what we all believe is the same, but I find a little bit of danger in that because at any point that means if you cease to align with what we say are our set of beliefs, it gives you an excuse to go and be somewhere else. But now hang on, our, our commitment to each other has got to be stronger than that. Sure, the fundamentals are there, Jesus Christ is Lord, only he can pay the price for our sin, all that important things, he's coming back one day. Yeah, we agree on all those really important things, but... Some of the other things are open-hand issues. We can talk about this, you know. What's more important is relationship. What's more important is that I'm in the body of Christ and that circle is full of people. Some are close. Some I'm able to talk to God about because we've got alignment and we agree at that core value. Not all I can, you know. But it's a beautiful, messy, complicated, impossible, perfect, all at once. It's a mess. Church is weird. It's the strangest idea ever, but it's the grandest concept and idea the world's ever seen. That somehow God would say, I've got a great idea. Let's get people who are so different to one another. Let's get them all together. You know, any other sense, they'd probably want to punch each other in the nose, some of them, you know, but I'm going to bring them together and we're going to make this beautiful thing that can do way more than they could do on their own. So that one plus one plus one doesn't equal three, it equals 3,000 because they can do so much more because I've chosen to work in community and church. And some of those people in that circle are designed to bring you life and to feed into your life. So we have all sorts of roles. We have those who are students who are learning from someone, those who are teaching, who they're imparting to people. You have peers, you have people on teams, 
leaders, followers. We have all these beautiful dynamics and very difficult dynamics going on. But spiritual relationships in your life are a key catalyst for your growth in God. You cannot grow to the fullest of who God's called you to become on your own. If those circles, particularly the the disciple level and that inner core level, aren't full, you just can't be who God's called you to be. I can, in these circles, you can have influence on a lot of people. So if you look at at my my life is a bit of a weird one in this sense, but just as an example, with the networks that I'm in and and the the, the role that I have and the life that I have with the books and all the stuff, so there's, there's quite a few thousand people in, that, in my blast radius of influence there. It, it, it's, it's pretty big. There's, there's a, probably a couple of thousand people who could email me on any day with a sort of assumption that I will respond and engage with them at a ministry input level, that they have a right to withdraw from me. A few thousand of them. That's a fair few. Most people would, wouldn't have that. But in, that's influence. But that's not impact. There's a massive difference between influencing someone's life and having an impact in someone's life. Impact can only come from relationship. Because impact means I've impressed. I've impacted you. I've made a dent in your life. I've got an, there's an impression in your life that's my shape. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you're fundamentally moved and different because I'm in your life, because I know you and you know me. And so these relationships are like gold when you can find them. And they'll probably drive you nuts as well. That's just all part of the game. So spiritual relationships, will do, and I'll just lay a few factors of them so you can start to test them. First one is they will accept you. They're all going to start with A, sorry. They're going to accept you. They're going to allow you to be who you are. My God, that is so rare. If you can't find someone who does that in your life, be that person to someone else. A non-judgy Christian. They just embrace you. They don't ask you to be any different. They don't expect you to be any different. And they assume that's the same in your life as well. So they accept you as you are. They add to your life. They seem to give more than they take without meaning it. It's just because of who they are, they just seem to add to your life. They're not using you. They're not trying to, they're not in the relationship to friend up. They're not in the relationship because you're going to get them somewhere or or there's there's a it's just a value add for them. You know what I mean? That, you, you can tell they sort of relate. You think, oh, I thought you were really close, but I realised you wanted to be in my close circle, but you're not letting me be in your close circle. And you get that weird moment when you go, ah. Oh. And, and you've got to start that long process of moving where they need to be. They don't want from you what you can't give them. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? And in heaven there's going to be lots of this. They acknowledge you. They celebrate your gifting without jealousy. They can say, that's awesome what you do. And they, they see your life and your ministry and they go, that is fantastic what you do. And there's no jealousy about it where they say, uh, I want to be more like that as well. They just, they just celebrate you. They just see who God's made you to be and they can talk about you and your fruit all day long. They're accountable. They, they love a sense of accountability where they'll, they'll, they're open to hearing the truth and they'll speak the truth. They'll go that last 5 or 10% in your life. Everyone's got friends who'll tell you stuff and they'll talk about stuff and they'll share about stuff. But there's this last 10%, the hard talk, the sort of talk that Daniel did for Nebuchadnezzar when he had this dream about his life. He, he could have just let it go and gone, oh, it's only the king, he's not even a Christian, you know. But he went to him and said, oh, king, I wish it was anyone but you. It's not too late, repent. And he, gave, and he put his relationship on the line by, by bringing the truth without demand. 
just saying this is how it really is. Powerful stuff. And sometimes these friends appreciate just your complex world in a sense of they don't have to be in your pocket all day, every day, even some weeks, some months. It's like they understand that your life is busy and, and there could be a few months where you don't catch up, but you, can, you know that relate where, oh, it's just like we never left, that sort of thing. They respect your time and there's no demands on you. It's not uh, codependent. It's, it's interdependent, which is different. They can live without you and you can live without them, but, but it's just when you get together, it's just beautiful. It's just wonderful thing. They just appreciate the complexity of your life. So how do you get these relationships? Uh, It's a lot of time, a lot of experimentation. These relationships seldom find you. You don't bump into them. You don't suddenly go, my God, you're my spiritual friend for life. It doesn't happen like that. They don't bump into you. So you can't sort of say, oh, I've been hurt before, I can't go there. You're going to get hurt on the journey. You can't just say, I'm not going to have any friends anymore. I've done that. I tried that 30 years ago. That never worked, you know. Because there's a journey of discovery that you go through. It takes some time and as inevitable dead-end relationships will form. But you've got, to be in the, in, you've got to be in the fishing pool in the circle of your life constantly looking for, if, you, if your circles aren't full, looking for who, who might be these people without laying a demand on them, but giving many people an opportunity to become that person in your life. So they're, they're in that blast radius, that outer circle of your influence. They're there. But you've got to put yourself in areas where there's potential for these relationships to grow. Small groups are great for that. Um, ministry teams are great for that, where you get to see people in action and you think, I like that guy. I'm going to have a coffee with that guy. You know? and, and so you, then you take that next step. And it may go nowhere, but it, it may go somewhere and change your life forever. In that whole process, we've, just got to, we've got to be the type of person that we actually need to have in our life. So you've got to be trustworthy. You've got to be non-judgy. You've got to be willing to give up time all that sort of stuff. It sounds like this is just social dynamics in some ways, but this is deeply spiritual. We've been designed to have these people in our life. Do you have them in your life? Is it a journey that you're on? I know it takes vulnerability. It takes openness to being hurt. But when you get a spiritual friend, there's nothing like it. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for all of those in the room today who've been deeply hurt from people who are in circles that they discovered shouldn't be there. Lord, I just want I pray into the trauma of that, the trauma of being ripped apart where they've been known and then now they've been rejected or they've been judged. Father, I pray, I want to pray particularly for those who've experienced this in a marriage relationship, two imperfect people. Father, I pray healing into that space and, and, a, and a removal of judgment from this space. Thank God, God is still with you. God still loves you. There's there's no change in his affection towards you. He he understands. Lord, I pray pray blessing on these hearts that have been torn apart. I pray to give them hope and strength that, Lord, within their circle of influence, in your time, true spiritual friends can be found. Sometimes they're in the church, but the church is bigger than the local church. Sometimes they must be in in the broader global church because it gets weird in the little church we've got. So Lord, I want to bless everyone with relationships. I want to bless them with strength of heart to be brave enough, to be vulnerable enough, to test and try, to, to be open a little bit to see if 
relationships can grow. Lord, I I really pray that this group of people would be known as those without judgment, who don't base our relationships purely on performance or whether they think someone's always got it right or wrong, but whether their heart is good. I think of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament where the Scriptures say they were one spirit. They loved each other without it being strange. They loved each other. And yet they were apart from each other for so long. Lord, I pray that you'd gift all of us with spiritual friendships that would build us up, bring us to life. Open our hearts. Lord, for those whose hearts are closed, I pray that you would open them. Not to being abused or or unnecessarily hurt, but to the potential of new relationships. Father, fill our hearts and fill our connections with other people. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.